It's a beautiful song that we just sang, How Can I Keep From Singing? It is uh, apropos, it's appropriate for the sermon that we're going to talk about this morning. We've entitled the sermon, An Attitude of Gratitude. You know, we just finished Thanksgiving. Hopefully everyone had an opportunity to slow down a little bit, spend some time with some family and some loved ones, friends, relatives, whatever. In-laws, outlaws, whatever. Hopefully everybody had some time to, to settle down and spend some time with family. For, for myself, this time of year, as I've mentioned before from the pulpit and to you individually, it's my favorite time of the year. We get to spend some extra time with family. It's a time for me of reflection and uh, introspection and looking forward. So how did the year end? What's, you know, what's going on in my life, personally, professionally, spiritually? Financially, all of that stuff, this is a time of the year that I kind of take inventory. And so I began that process this last week, and as we talked about this, that's what this sermon is about, an attitude of gratitude. And, you know, I've been um, in situations where I, did, I ran out of month, I ran out of money long before I ran out of month. I'm in a different situation now. I've got a few bucks in savings. In fact, somebody kept, several people asked me about the coat. I was on a business trip in Nashville, and I landed, and the president of the company handed me his phone. He said, hey, did you see this? And I said, what? And he said, if we wanted to go to dinner with this group of people that we were going to go to dinner with that night, we needed a sports coat in order to get in. He said, did you pack one? I said, you know I didn't. I don't wear a sports coat. So we, on the way to meet, meet our friends that day, had to stop by the men's warehouse and spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on a sports coat. There was a time in my life where that would have overdrawn my checking account and overdrawn my, you know, caused my credit cards to go over the limit and, you know, been embarrassed when I tried to pay for it because I couldn't. But today that's not the case. But... Whether you're on either side of that, um, sometimes you can get lost. You can be to the point that um, you're blaming God for everything because everything's so bad. Or you can be on the other side where you're not really worrying about having to stop by and spend two or three hundred bucks on the sports coat. In fact, you're not really worried about much at all, and so you begin to think about all the things you've done. You begin to think about the, the stuff that you've done and the, the conquers that you've got and how smart you are and what your vision is and you can leave God out of that situation just as easily as you can be on the other end of the situation and blame God for your situation. So we want to talk this morning a little bit about this attitude of gratitude and hopefully how whether you're in either situation or in the middle somewhere that you can focus on God maybe in a little different way. We want to start with a story that's found in Habakkuk. Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets. In fact, we just did a series on minor prophets a few, I don't know, months ago. Um, I lose track of time. Maybe a year ago we did the minor prophets, and we did this, the, the story of Habakkuk. So I want to run through it really quickly because I really want to get to the third chapter, which is where Habakkuk is in prayer to God, and he's talking to God, and that's what I want to get to. But for to put that in context, we kind of have to real quickly go through the first couple of chapters. So chapter 1, Habakkuk opens up this conversation with God, and he says, the people are evil. He's talking about the children of Israel. He said they're evil. They're stealing from each other. There's violence. They're... 
fighting, they're doing all this bad stuff, and how long are you going to let this go on, Lord? These are your people. How long are you going to let this bad behavior go on? And the Lord says, <clears throat> believe me, the punishment that I have in store is, is going to be sufficient. So what God is going to do is call the Babylonians or the Chaldeans and whatever version of, of the Bible that you might, translation you might be reading, he's going to call on those people to come and to occupy the children of Israel. And Habakkuk um, says, well, that's going to be punishment for the good people and the bad people. That's not going to be good for the ones that are trying to do good. It is punishment for the ones that are doing bad. And, um, but the innocent people are going to go um, unpunished. So then in, in chapter 2, God says, hey, write this down. I want you to, I want you to make a record of this. And this is, this is what's going to happen. We're going to, we're, the, the Chaldeans are going to come in and they're going to accomplish two or three different things. The first thing that they're going to accomplish is they're going to try the faith and the patience of the people. We're going to figure out who are the hypocrites and who are the faithful people in Israel. We're going to figure that out. They're going to figure that out. We're going to prove who's faithful and who's the hypocrites. And after that purpose is served, I'm going to take away the Babylonians. I'm going to take away the Chaldeans. That's towards the end of chapter 2. He said, I'm going to humiliate them. I'm going to humble them. I'm going to reckon with them. Not only them, but their leader, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to take care of him as well. I will remove the, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans from your midst. So then, towards the end of chapter 2, um, he says, not only are these Babylonians or Chaldeans um, going to do that, but we're going to, we're going to take care of those that are covetous and greedy of wealth and honors. We're going to take care of those that are injurious or that are trying to steal people's property. We're going to take care of those that promote drunkenness and may expose their neighbors to the same and those that worship idols. So the Chaldeans had a lot of different purposes of coming in and conquering the people there in Israel. So then in uh, chapter 3, and this is what I'm trying to get to so that we understand the... So, we need to understand where Habakkuk was. He's in the midst of some turmoil. The country that he loves and the people that he loves is in dire straits. They're in a bad position. And it's going to get worse when the Chaldeans come in. But this is the way Habakkuk reacts to all of that information that the Lord has given him. He prays to the Lord about all the great things the Lord has done from Abraham, the deliverance through the Red Sea, Moses... And he finishes his prayer in the last few verses of chapter 3. <clears throat> he says this. Figs might not grow on the figs tr fig trees, and grapes may not grow on the vines. Olives might not grow in the olive trees, and food might not grow in the fields. There might not be any sheep in the pens or cattle in the barns. This is the important part. But I will still be glad in the Lord and rejoice in God my Savior. The Lord God gives me strength. He helps me run fast like a deer. He leads me safely <clears throat> on the mountains. So in the midst of all of that, in the midst of his countrymen, in the midst of knowing that they're about to be invaded, he says, God, you are my Savior. I trust you. He, he gives praise to God for all the, even though they may not have anything to eat, 
There's not going to be any figs on the trees or cattle in the barns or sheep in the pens, all this stuff. His attitude is one that says, but I will still be glad in the Lord and rejoice in God my Savior. An attitude of gratitude for who God was regardless of the things that he might have to suffer or that he might have to endure. And his, his people, his kinsmen as well. So, when things are going bad, we can look to the attitude of Habakkuk to say that's an attitude of gratitude. But what happens when things are going good? We talked a little bit about this uh, a minute ago. Success can be just as dangerous because now we're not having to rely on God. We're not having to try to gain strength from Him through our prayers and through our intercessions with Him. In fact, we've managed to somehow feel pretty good about standing on our own two feet. We've become successful. We don't have... We don't have to worry about that, and it's just as dangerous as we survey our territories and the people that are gathered. We begin to use these kind of pronouns. We think, well, looky here, look what's been built by my talents and my skills and my gifts and my strategies and my visions and my sweat and my sacrifice. In fact, we are given a very, a very um, exacting example of this in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12 says, Then Jesus used this story. There was a rich man who had some land. His land grew a very good crop of food. He thought to himself, What will I do? I have no place to keep all my crops. And he said, I know what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns. I will put up my wheat and good things together in my new barns. Then I can say to myself, I have many good things stored. I have saved enough for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and enjoy life. But God said to that man, foolish man, or let me restate that, foolish man, there's an exclamation point at the end of that, and it needs to be observed. Tonight you will die. So what about the things you prepared for yourself? Who will get those things now? This is how it will be for anyone who saves things only for himself. To God, that person is not rich. So if we, again, we talk about those personal pronouns, the I's, the my's, the I will do this, I think this, I, I, my, myself. Success can be just as dangerous. We can get on the other side of success and we can think, hey, um, it's all about what I've done. I've got a 401k that I don't have to worry about retirement. I got this, I got that, I've got property, I've got value, I've got net worth, I've got all of this stuff. I don't I, I I can take care of myself. I've done a pretty good job up to now. Success can be just as dangerous or even more dangerous. In fact the Bible warns us many times about it. The Bible says in First Corinthians, so anyone that thinks they stand strong should be careful that they don't fall. Acts chapter 17 says that it's in, it's in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. It's reworded there in the ERV version. John chapter 3 says a person can receive only what God gives. It's not about what we got, what I got, I mean my. People can plan what they want to, but the Lord will guide the steps. James chapter 4 says... 
Some of you say today or tomorrow we will go to some city. We will stay there a year, do business, and make money. Listen, think about this. You don't know what happens tomorrow. Your life is like a fog. You can see it for a short time, then it goes away. So you should say, if the Lord wants, we will live and do this or that. That sums up the problem sometimes with those that are high me's and my's, right? They, they've thought about it and they, they're in this situation where they are in control. They're in, they've got the, the, the whole plan laid out for themselves. But our life is like a fog. That plan you've got laid out could be over this afternoon in multiple different ways, millions of different ways. The number one way it could be over is the Lord could come back this afternoon and take us home. I know Dusty prays for that in a prayer, and every time he does, I'm like, Amen, I think. You know, i got a lot of things planned. Amen, I think, Dusty. I appreciate him praying that because it makes me do that, that, that introspection about where I'm at and what all I think I'm about. Warnings for the successful. So, maybe what we should do, and this is what we're going to do, so hopefully it's the right thing, is I wanted to take a minute to look at God's character. Because if we're going to... I don't want us to lose sight of God and who He is and who He needs to be in our life. And so I want us to understand that a little bit, maybe more completely. I don't know. You may have a deeper understanding than I do. But I want us to look at about four or five, maybe six characteristics of God. And if we recognize those and understand those, logically believe those, and emotionally accept those, then maybe regardless of what end of the spectrum we're on, we can maintain the right focus on Him. So as we think about God and His character, the first one is His mercy. It says in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, He saved us because of His mercy. Not because of any good things we did. He saved us through the washing that made us new people. He saved us by making us new through the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that we've got to understand about God and His character is He did not have to do what He did for us. He did it out of His mercy. He saw us. He saw us in the situation that we were in. Unfaithful to Him, sinful, set apart from Him, in an unholy position, and He had mercy on us. And He said, I, I, I don't want Him in that position. I want Him in a covenant relationship with me. Those that want to be with me, I want them to have an opportunity to come and to be with me. And He did that. That doing of that was His mercy being shown towards us. So the first characteristic I want us to understand is His mercy. <clears throat> Secondly, I want you to understand His patience. And um, this one is where I'm over here and He's as far over there as He can be. <laughs> because patience is something I don't have a lot of and something I have to work on hard a lot. My wife will tell you I've got some better, but I've still got a long way to go. Patience is hard for me. I don't have a lot of it. I get irritated with things that 
I think should go a different direction. Mumbai thinks so again. But God's not that way. In Second Peter chapter 3, he said, The Lord is not being slow in doing what He promised. The way some people understand slowness, but God is being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to change their ways and stop sinning. Psalms chapter 103 says, The Lord is kind and merciful. He is patient and full of love. And Romans chapter 15 says, All patience and encouragement come from God. And I pray that God will help you all agree with each other as Christ Jesus wants. So this, this, this thing we need to understand about Him is not only does He have mercy in, for us, but He has this unfathomable um, patience with us. The fact that He didn't come yesterday shows His patience with us. He's given us another day. As we awoke this morning, He's given us another day to change the way we are, to change the things we're focused on, to change the way we live. He's given us another day. That's His patience taking, giving us one more day so that we might not be lost. Another characteristic is His salvation. Psalms Psalms chapter 62 verse number 1 says, I must calm down and turn to God. Only He can rescue me. He is my rock, the only one who can save me. He is the high place of safety where no army can defeat me. Our salvation that we've been talking about this morning is only provided through God. Romans chapter 6 says, When people sin, they earn what sin pays, that is death. But God gives His people a free gift, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John chapter 14 says, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. In Ephesians chapter 1, it is the same with you. You heard the true message, the good news about the way God saves you. When you heard that good news, you believed in Christ. And in Christ, God put His special mark on you by giving you the Holy Spirit that He promised. <clears throat> so when we think about His character, His mercy, His patience, and now His salvation, um, it's, hard, it's hard to put in words. But we've been given this, this, this gift that's beyond measure. We've been given this gift to one day have new bodies to be holy and to be able to be put in front of God Almighty. We've been given that through this gift of His character, which is His salvation for us. A plan that He had from the very beginning. He said, when and if man falls, I've got a plan to redeem them. And we all know that didn't take very long. Adam and Eve in the garden fell from grace by committing sin and doing the one thing, or at least one thing that God told them not to do. But he had a plan because he knew he was going to give us free will. He was going to let us decide whether we wanted his salvation or not. His sovereignty. This one's important for us to understand because this ties 
a lot of this all together. He is sovereign. Do, do, we, do, we, do we conceptually, I think we know what that means. In Ephesians chapter 1 it says, In Christ we were chosen to be God's people. God has already planned for us to be his people because that is what he wanted. And he is the one who makes everything agree with what he decides and wants. He is in complete control. Now what he wants is for those that want to be with him to have an opportunity to be with him. He's not going to force any of us. He's not going to force you to accept his mercy and his patience and his salvation and his sovereignty. But he will someday prove that he is sovereign. Colossians chapter 1 verse number 15 says, No one can see God, but the Son is exactly like God. He rules over everything that has been made. Through his power all things were made, things in heaven and on earth, seen and not seen. All spiritual rulers, lords, powers and authorities, everything was made through him and for him. Talking about Jesus. Everything was made through him and for him. He is sovereign. He is in control. He rules over space, time, and history. He directs the cosmos to his purpose. No one can thwart his plans or the things that he wants to get accomplished. He is in control. And one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess about the things that were important to us here on this earth. And that doesn't matter whether you're on the successful end of the spectrum or the beggar down here with the sign on the corner. Every knee's going to bow. <clears throat> he's wisdom. We know that he's wise. It says, if you need wisdom, ask God. He is generous and everyone knows that and enjoys and enjoys giving to everyone, so we will give you wisdom. James chapter 3, but the wisdom that comes from God is like this. First, listen to the description of God's wisdom that, that we get from Him. First, it is pure. It is also peaceful, gentle, and easy to please. The wisdom is always ready to help people who have trouble and to do good for others. This wisdom is always fair and honest. That's the kind of wisdom we get from God. It's peaceful, fair and honest, pure. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Surely you know the truth. Surely you have heard the Lord is the God who lives forever. He creates all the faraway places on earth. He does not get tired and weary. You cannot learn all He knows. That could have been just as easily put in the sovereign slide as it could here. You can't learn all He knows. He is sovereign. You can't learn all He knows. He's all wise. The last thing that um, um, of, of His character that I wanted to talk about, when I first did this lesson, I had this, I had this first, and I said, you know, I want to I save it to last because I think this is the most important characteristic of God. And that is His love. It, it does bind all of these others together. And if you look at the, um, 
the Corinthians version of love where it's talking about the agape love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. We're, we can all quote this verse. For God so, loved the, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed Him should not perish but have eternal life. He loved us enough to give His Son. Now, which one of us would, could come up with a plan that says, I'm going to do this thing over here. It may or may not go right, but if it, if it goes bad... I'm going to have a child and I'm going to offer him or her to save that. How, how many of you could even grasp that concept? Could even, I mean, to think it, that it's got to bother you to the core. But that's what he did for us because he loved us. He, he, he made, he, he created us knowing full well that his son was going to have to die for us. That's the love that he had for us from the very beginning. It's, it's unfathomable to me. And it binds this whole story from Genesis to Revelations together because that whole story is about Jesus that would come because of his love for us. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his only son in the world to give us life through him. First John, these are all, this is First John 9, 10, I think 11. True love is God's love for us, not, not our love for God. He sent his son as the way to take away our sins. In verse 11, this is how much God loved us, dear friends, so we also must love each other. God loved us in a complete way. So when we think about his character, his mercy, his patience, his salvation, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his love, if we can get our minds around that in the right context, it won't matter if we're holding the sign down on here, down here on Carroll Street, or if we're multimillionaires, it won't matter if we can get our minds wrapped around this. We should be able to hold God as the center of our existence and the reason that we do the things that we do. And we should be able to have an attitude of gratitude to Him for what He's done. I'm running long, so I've got about five or six more slides. We're going to go through them real quickly. So the, the point of all of this was, okay, knowing this, what, what do we need to do? So I've got some what we need to do's, and I'm going to run through them real quick. There's a couple of stories in there that I think are good stories that I think will be important to us. So how do we develop a grateful heart, or how do we develop an attitude of gratitude First of all, we need to regularly practice giving thanks. Colossians chapter 2 says you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to live following Him. You must depend on Christ only, drawing life and strength from Him. Just as you were taught the truth, continue to grow stronger in your understanding of it and never stop giving thanks to God. Never stop giving thanks to God. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 so, says, So we should be thankful because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because we are thankful, we should worship God in a way that will please Him. We should do this with respect and fear. Um, most of you are probably, and I don't know anything about this man's religion, so I'm not throwing this man up as somebody you need to imitate, but I thought he had a really interesting quote. Denzel Washington, again, I don't know anything about his politics, I don't know anything about his religion, but he was addressing a church banquet on November the 15th, I don't even know what year. This is what he said. Give thanks for blessings every day, every day. Embrace gratitude. Encourage others. It is impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. I pray that you put your slippers away under the bed at night so that when you wake in the morning, you will have to start on your knees to find them. And while you're down there, say thank you. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. Now, again, I don't know anything about but I, I, I thought there was a lot of good stuff right there. Start on your knees in the morning. Get your get down there and get your slippers from way out from underneath the bed where you shoved them under there last night. Start on your knees. And change your flat, your bad attitude into a good attitude. And encourage others and embrace gratitude. So that's, that's a way that we can start. We've, we've talked about expressing gratitude regardless of the situation. So we need, when, when things are going good or bad, always be full of joy. Never stop praying. Whatever happens, always be thankful. This is how God wants you to live in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 1 says, People knew God, but they did not honor Him as God, and they did not thank Him. Their ideas were all useless. James chapter 1, My brothers and sisters, you will have many kinds of trouble, but this gives you a reason to be very happy. You know that when your faith is tested, you learn to be patient in suffering. If you let your patience work in you, the end result will be good. You will be a mature. You will be mature and complete. You will be all that God wants you to be. Praise God when it's going well. Same verse we just read in First Thessalonians. I might have said First Timothy a minute ago. First Thessalonians. Um, never stop praying. Whether, no matter what happens. <clears throat> we got to learn from our bad experiences. Romans chapter eight says we know that everything works. Uh, we know that everything. I'm used to the King James version. I can't even read it in the ESV. Um, we know that everything God works for the good of those who love Him. Though these are the people God chose because that was His plan. Everything is going to work out for good in the long run. Everything, both good and bad. Psalms chapter 9 says, Many people are suffering, crushed by the weight of their troubles, but the Lord is the refuge for them, a safe place they can run into. Make gratitude a part of your interactions. Uh, Denzel said that. Treat others with respect. Treat them with gratitude. The Bible says in Hebrews, God is fair and He will remember all the work you have done. He will remember that you showed your love to Him by helping His people and that you continue to help them. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us something similar to the face, similar, similar to uh, Hebrews chapter um, you know, 6. And 1 Corinthians says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace that He has given you through Christ Jesus. So Paul 
imitates the behavior that he wants us to have when he's giving thanks for those people in Corinth uh, from prison, actually, I believe, and when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he's thanking them for uh, what they've meant to him and praising them. Um, well, that's the pretty much the end of the sermon. One story left. I didn't mean to go all that far back. Uh, Corey Timboom, again, don't know her. Uh, I, I asked Nana, I said, have you ever heard her? She goes, yeah, she's an author. She's a pretty good author. I said, okay, I don't, I don't know her. All I know is this story. She was in a Nazi, a Nazi concentration camp with her sister Betsy. And they miraculously had smuggled in to the, to the Nazi concentration camp a Bible. And her and her sister were reading the Bible and they were reading some of the verses like we've read this morning about being grateful no matter what the situation, about always giving thanks no matter what the situation. And her sister Betsy says, we've got to be thankful for these fleas. And Corey, Tim Boom said, I can't. There's no way I can give thanks for these fleas that are biting us and tearing us up every day. And her sister Betsy said, In everything we've got to give thanks, sis. And finally, Corey said, They said a prayer and they gave thanks for the fleas. Well, some things happened over the next few months. The guards didn't bother them very much like they bothered everybody else. That meant for them no abuse, no physical abuse, no rape, no torture. They were kind of left on their own even to the point that they were able to have some Bible studies with the other ladies and bring some of them into a relationship with Christ as much as you could in a prison. When they were released from the prison, Corey found out a very strange thing. The reason the guards didn't bother them was because of the fleas. They didn't want to get bit. They had given thanks for the fleas like they were commanded and asked to, and as a, I don't know, as a result of that giving of the thanks, but because of those fleas, the guards did not bother them. They didn't torture them. They didn't abuse them. They gave them some flexibility. They did, certainly weren't in there trying to figure out what all they were reading and doing, but they, they avoided that area of the prison because of all of the fleas that were there. And now she's a, I guess that Nana says, a famous author, a good author, even maybe writes kids' books. I don't know. The point of the story is whether you're on this end or this end, we've got to stay focused on God. Amen. Hopefully, the nature and the characteristics of God that we've talked about this morning will give your heart some power to change some things in your life that may need changing if they do. Hopefully the power of his sovereignty, the power of his love, the power of his mercy, the power of his wisdom, the power of his patience, the power of God will give you the strength that you need in your heart if you focus on that to be the kind of people that we need to be to, to each other and in the sight of God. If we can help you this morning, if you'd like to come and, and, uh, and sit on the front pew, we'd be glad to, to, to pray for you or help you in whatever you might need.